you are listening to Delta Dispatches. We're discussing Louisiana's coast, its people, wildlife, and jobs, and why restoring it matters. I'm Jacques Hebert with Environmental Defense Fund. And I'm Simone Malaz with Restore or Retreat. How are you, Simone? Do you have your winter jumper on? No, it's sweater weather. Sweater weather. Sweater weather. Yeah. I do. I've, I have, you know, I was in Minnesota for a while. Oh, that's so right. I, it was cold there, too. It was there, very right? cold there. And I had, you know, a good preview of this weather, and I had all my coats and stuff out and ready to go. So here I am, ready and prepared for this Arctic blast. How are you enjoying the cold? Good thing Miss Winifred has her own coat. She's in heaven. <laughs> this is like the first time in a long time that I think she's in her natural habitat because she literally does have a very thick fur coat and she's made for this weather. So she is doing just fine. Yeah. And it's going to warm up, right? Yeah. And so we kind of bookended by nice warm weather and should be a nice weekend too. Yeah, looking forward to it. Um, you know, this past weekend was the best of times and the worst of times. And LSU game was really intense, but yes. that was an amazing win. And then of all the teams. We need to bring Ryan in for this segment. No, you're shaking his head. He doesn't want to talk he about want to it. talk about it. But of course, we had to lose to the Falcons. I know, right? Uh, Everybody's like, oh, you got to lay an egg, right? You know, No, you don't. No, you don't. You don't really have to do that. That's I get nervous because I know we give their their team and their fans a hard time. And so I'm like, is it karma? Yeah, I don't probably know. Probably a little bit of that. OK. Probably a little. Bit well, of that. you know, hey, they got it out of their system and they can like keep their march going forward for the playoffs. So, yes. The um, eternal optimist. Yes. Okay, right. <laughs> have to be, you know, so. Um, well, I'm very excited today. We're actually um Getting back to the science, we've talked a little bit about coastal education in the mm-hmm. prior episode. We talked about economy, economy mm-hmm. and jobs, um, and all of that is so dependent on science and Absolutely. knowledge. So we're having um, two of our favorite uh, former guests and favorite scientists back on the show. Um, first up is Dr. John Lopez, Director of Coastal Sustainability Program with the Lake Pontchartrain Basin Foundation. Welcome back to Delta Dispatches, John. Uh, thanks, Jock. Uh, good morning, you guys. How y'all doing? Too cold to be on the lake today, huh, John? Yeah, pretty chilly out there. <laughs> so, John, I want to ask, I mean, we're fast approaching the end of 2019, but I think, you know, we will all look back years from now on this year as a very unprecedented one in a number of ways. Of course, the historic Mississippi River flood, um, you know, two openings of the Bonnie Carey Spillway uh, in the same year. You know, I'm curious to hear from you. I mean, how are things going on the lake? How are things looking in the basin um, as we close out this year? Well, um, as I said, this has been an extraordinary year in terms of river flood. Uh, and, uh, I saw an analysis the other day that the amount of water diverted into Lake Pontchartrain through the spillway was more than five times the volume of Lake Pontchartrain. But anyway, in spite of kind of the extraordinary circumstances, uh, you know, uh, since I closed the structure, salinities have been rebounding. Uh, the uh, algal blooms uh, that were there, uh, kind of patchy, but they were there for a while. Uh, but uh, they, they're gone. Uh, the uh, salinity is coming back up. And we're seeing some other indications, you know, that, that the lake is uh, starting to uh, you know, recover from that event. So, John, we, we kind of had record heat in October, right? Does this cold weather help or hurt the situation, or is this just kind of normal uh, the, the cold weather does affect things uh but it, it's it's short term uh and, and it depends on which species I mean uh you know uh crabs for instance uh, generally they don't like cold weather so uh, crab fishing would slow down uh with the water temperatures uh, uh falling 
uh, like we're starting to see now. Uh, I mean, there'll still be blue crab, but it does slow down. Great. Well, we have a number of topics that we want to talk to you about today. Um, you know, you've been writing a lot of blogs about, um, you know, just new science that's come out, as well as tools that, um, you know, everyone from fellow scientists to fishermen can use. Um, so let's dive right in. First, I want to talk a little bit about Mr. Go and the Mississippi River Gulf Outlet, as it's um, known. Um, you did a blog that basically highlighted the incredible impact that closing the Mr. Go um, has had on the Pontchartrain Basin. So kind of as a reminder for those who may not know, you know, we're approaching the 15th year anniversary of Hurricanes Katrina and Rita. Um, but tell us a little bit about like what was the Mr. Go and why it was closed? Yeah, uh, of course, uh, um, Mississippi River Gulf Outlet was a federal navigation, deep draft navigation channel that was dug in basically St. Bernard Parish. Uh, it had a tremendous environmental impact, uh, but just as importantly, it, it contributed to uh, flooding and impacts from uh, hurricanes, particularly like Hurricane Katrina. So after uh, Katrina, there was finally enough uh, support to have the structure of uh, the channel deauthorized, first of all, uh, legally, but it allowed for two carrier structures to be built that kind of negated the hydrologic influence uh, of this uh, saltwater intrusion that occurred for, for decades, extreme saltwater intrusion. So, uh, that was now 10 years ago. So uh, we're now 10 years from when those uh, two barriers were put into the MRGO. So now we, we're, we're starting to get a pretty good understanding of what that those closures or the placement of those barriers has done. John, did you think it was going to be that quick of a of an impact? No, it was, uh, I don't think anyone did. Uh, that uh, almost overnight we began to see changes in the estuary. Um, and let, let me interject before I forget that, uh, you know, the damage of, from the MRGO of wetland loss has still not been addressed. There, so there's still a huge wetland loss problem that was caused by the MRGO. But what the barriers did was essentially a hydrologic restoration, more or less restored somewhat how the water was flowing before the MRGO was built, and therefore how the salinity moves around uh, in the estuary. Uh, but it was almost immediate. Uh, once those barriers were built, basically the very first year, 2009, uh, we began to see changes in the surface water salinity, and then uh, shortly after, changes in the salinity in the soils, which is more important for the plants. <coughs> no, no, no one anticipated that that there would be that immediate response or the magnitude of the response that we've seen over 10 years. It's been really an amazing thing to see and document scientifically. I think that's a pretty important distinction, and I'm glad that you just made it, that, that the closure is more of the hydraulic restoration and not a restoration of the impacts that occurred from the channel, right? I think that that was a, a very important distinction to be made, that we're not done there yet, if that's fair. Exactly. I mean, we don't want to forget that there's still, you know, um, 20, 30,000 acres of wetlands that were lost due to the MRGO, and, and that has had 
some slight restoration, but for the most part, that that wetland moss has not been addressed. And um, we may, you know, have uh, knowledge of kind of Mr. Go where it is in terms of, you know, it's near St. Bernard Parish and even going into kind of Lower Ninth Ward. And, and I mean, obviously, it's, it's larger than that. But can you set a, a picture, give us a picture of like the scale or the scope of how the closure, like where the closure is reaching? So like the influence area is certainly beyond that immediate area where the channel is, correct? Uh, correct. I mean, it's, it's actually influencing uh, kind of... Uh, uh, above or kind of up gradient and below uh, the closures. Uh, but, uh, you know, the Pontchartrain Basin, as we describe it, is everything east of the Mississippi River, you know, about 6,000 square miles of, uh, of marsh and bays and sounds. Uh, more than half of that, we now realize, was, was significantly impacted by uh, the Joe. And the reason we, we know that now is because of the closures we're seeing what is shifting back due to that closure. The pre- previous estimates had suggested, uh, or documented maybe, I should say, uh, that the impact of the MRGO was, was about 640,000 acres. Uh, now, in hindsight, we can see because of the effect of the closures, it's basically double that. It's basically 1.2 million acres of our estuary here um, are seeing changes due to the MRGO closure and therefore were previously impacted negatively by the MRGO. Wow, that is a huge yeah, area and a huge impact. <laughs> I want to talk a little bit more about some of the dynamics within that area when we come back, but we're about to head into a break. We're with Dr. John Lopez with the Lake Pontchartrain Basin Foundation, and you're listening to Delta Dispatches. We'll be right back after the break. We're about to head into a break. We're with Dr. John Lopez with the Lake Pontchartrain Basin Foundation, and you're listening to Delta Dispatches. We'll be right back after the break. National Wildlife Federation gives voices to the wildlife conservation values that are part of our country's heritage. We are charting a new course for wildlife that our children and grandchildren will thank us for. Visit our website, nwf.org Louisiana, to find out more about our work to restore and protect coastal Louisiana for generations to come. National Wildlife Federation, uniting all Americans to ensure wildlife thrive in a rapidly changing world. nwf.org Louisiana. Hi, I'm Don Cheadle. Listen up. I want to talk to you about something important, the Environmental Defense Fund. EDF isn't like some of the other environmental groups. EDF works together with those on both sides of the issue. Despite all the fighting in Washington, EDF has found ways for both parties to support real progress. That has made our air and water cleaner and the products in our homes safer. So not only can our planet prosper, so can our future. Go to edf.org to see how you can help. At Audubon, we believe that where birds thrive, people prosper. Nowhere is that more evident than in Louisiana. Integrating science, education, and policy, Audubon, Louisiana's mission is to conserve and restore natural ecosystems, focusing on birds, other wildlife, and their habitats for the benefit of humanity and the Earth's biological diversity. Visit la.audubon.org to learn more and support our mission. la.audubon.org. Restore Retreat is a coastal nonprofit organization working in the heart of the Barataria and Terrebonne Basins, from the Mississippi River to the Atchafalaya. We work every day to restore Louisiana's coast community and culture with our mission of implementing long-term and large-scale projects for our irreplaceable region. We'll hope you join us in 
supporting the solution. Check us out on Twitter, Facebook, and online at www.restoreorretreat.org. And we're back. You're listening to Delta Dispatches. We're discussing Louisiana's coast, its people, wildlife, and jobs, and why restoring it matters. I'm Jacques Hebert with Environmental Defense Fund. And I'm Simone Malaz with Restore or Retreat. And I have the coastal stat of the week. The Lake Pontchartrain Basin is a 10,000 square mile watershed encompassing 16 Louisiana parishes. The land use of the region is both rural and urban and is the most densely populated region in Louisiana, including Metro New Orleans and the state capital, Baton Rouge. It is one of the largest estuarine systems in the Gulf of Mexico, containing over 22 essential habitats. The basin's topography ranges from rolling wetlands, I like that, rolling (laughs) wetlands, in the north to coastal marshes to the south, with the 630-square-mile Lake Pontchartrain as its centerpiece. But Jacques, it's not a lake. It's an estuary. It's an estuary. <laughs> I, I have learned that from I'm going to get friends. Christy and John and them all mugs that say that, right? It's yeah. not a lake. It's an estuary. <laughs> or that little cat meme. Oh, that is it's such a, a good idea. It's okay. an estuary. We'll need to follow up with your social media person, John, and give them that idea because I think it will take off. So, John, I do want to ask real quick because we it's time for our fun question. You know, I don't know about you, but I am, you know, thinking a lot about Thanksgiving and <laughs> I think salivating over Are Thanksgiving. You, let me guess. Meals. Moisture dressing. Is that what well, you Well, I was going to I mean, it's up to John. I was going to ask John for your fun question. What is your favorite Thanksgiving side? Oh, man. There's so many. Um, probably uh, dirty rice. And, and by the way. Uh, oh, good answer, John. Good answer. Not everybody does this, but but uh, some people put actually oysters in dirty rice, which is uh, one of the favorite ingredients. Mm. I have never tried that, but I, you know, I'm always open to trying, you know, new dishes. So sometimes we don't answer these questions, but I'm gonna go ahead and answer this one. Um, I could like only eat sides. I'm like not a turkey person, and I could only eat sides. I feel like I use turkey more as the palate cleanser for the sides. <laughs> so you know, I'm like trying the sides. I'm like, oh, let me get a little bite of turkey. Do a little just, sorbet, like, exactly. a little mint. <laughs> yeah, I am. I do love a good oyster dressing. Yeah. My grandma made the best one growing up. <laughs> And also the, um, which I actually made, I think for Christmas last year, but the oyster patties. Oh, and yeah, I went yeah. to, you to buy the, the special little, little bread place on Harrison uh-huh. that sells McKenzie's. Uh-huh. It's weird. It's, yeah, I don't yeah. think it's some McKenzie's, but they sell yeah, McKenzie's yeah. stuff. Got the little, you know, shells and made it. it I like John's well. idea of the salty, dirty dressing there. <laughs> <laughs> We've got a whole range of, of things we, we can do. We sound like the food and wine show before. <laughs> exactly. All right. Well, getting back to the science. Um, so, John, we were talking about the impact, the massive impact that the Mr. Go closure has had on the Pontchartrain Basin and how large of an area um, that has influenced. Um, In your blog, which is available on MississippiRiverDelta.org, you kind of frame it in terms of oysters and cypress trees and saying that the Pontchartrain Basin can now support oysters and cypress trees. Why is that important? And talk a little bit about that kind of diversity of habitat, of landscape, of salinities, and why it's important to maintain that diversity. Right. Um, well, most folks are very familiar with our land loss crisis. One of, one of the metrics of that is wetlands that are converted to open water, and that is very important. But the underlying uh, uh, what, uh, systemic part of that is is the hydrology. The hydrology is what, make, what makes wetlands work. 
So when the hydrology gets messed up, the wetlands uh, get messed up, they tend to, they tend to lose them, uh, habitats change, sometimes negatively. Uh, and so basically what I'm alluding to is uh, what's called saltwater intrusion. And uh, so basically the MRGR created this massive saltwater intrusion where high salinity water was moving much further inland than what it had historically and where you would want it. And uh, that basically disrupted the gradient that you normally have from fresh all the way to seawater in the Gulf of Mexico, well, basically the Gulf of Mexico closer uh, further inland. Uh, now, the, the two species that everyone's familiar with are uh, uh, very common, uh, ball cypress trees and, of course, oysters. Uh, those are very uh, uh, what uh, you know, symbolic of this process because uh, cypress trees belong in the freshest part, essentially pure fresh water. Oysters belong not in seawater, but near that kind of salinity range. It's still mixed, but, uh, but on the higher salinity side of things. When the MRGO was open, uh, there's a location, I've got pictures, uh, I believe we included in the blog, uh, where there were, when the MRGO was open, oysters trying to grow on cypress leaves. So that basically is uh, uh, emblematic or symbolic of, uh, of the collapse of the estuary, where basically you know, one organism that should be you know, almost in the Gulf of Mexico has moved so far inland it's growing on cypress needs that should be a freshwater swamp. Uh, so that, that's kind of uh, the, uh, the problem. Uh, the good news is that since the closures in 2009, the two barriers that were built, uh, as I was alluding to, we've seen salinities shift, and they're shifting back toward uh, what they were previously. Uh, they're not quite where they were previously, but they're close. But close enough so that we can now uh, see that these uh, two different um, things, trees and, and, and oysters, have responded very positively. And what I mean by that is... If you go around Western Lake Pontchartrain, like Marpa, that area, those swamps were dying from salinity. The salinity now is is low enough for those trees to to survive. In fact, we're planting thousands of trees on that land grid because of that that change. So we can now restore swamps that we couldn't when the MRJ was open. On the other end of the system, we have oysters, and we've assessed the the oyster or the salinity for oysters. And we now know that because of the closure of the MRGO, the oyster beds have been reestablished precisely where they were before the MRGO was built. So there are now historic oyster reefs that are, being, that are recovering, that are sufficient that have been utilizing for the last uh, several years since the MRGO closure. Uh, so this is tremendously good news that basically uh, the estuary, instead of having oysters growing on cypress knees, we have Cypress trees growing where they belong, and oysters growing where they belong, with you know tens of miles of separation representing that salinity gradient. That, that sounds so crazy. Oysters on trees, right? But, um, John, you you did mention Morapa. If we were to build that restoration and, and have that freshwater influence into Morapa, that's a project that y'all have advocated for for a while, right? What what kind of impact would that project have on the? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, you're alluding to the, uh, I think, the East Marpod diversion, uh, Garyville and St. John Parish. 
that would flow uh, about 2,000 cubic feet per second water from the river into the swamps. Uh, the, uh, the salinity has been reduced, so we can plant trees, but what has not happened is the introduction of nutrients and some sediments to basically sustain those swamps. Uh, even with the MRGO closures of areas that have been built, there the, the, the trees that we're planting now are vulnerable to a drought. And so if we had a severe drought, we could maybe lose those trees in one year. So the modified version is extremely important for the long-term sustainability of the swamp. John, um, you know, we will obviously continue to track that project and would love to have you on to talk a little yeah. bit more about it as it continues to move forward. I do want to give a plug for HydroCoast. Um, you all provide an amazing resource to, you know, a variety of people, including fishermen, to understand the salinity uh, changes in the basin and kind of um, other trends. Um, and you provide that data on your website. So tell us really quickly about HydroCoast coast and where people can find it yeah hydrocoast are, are maps uh, that we put out every two weeks they're on our website uh, they're updated every two weeks and they're a snapshot of the base uh, the salinity that we've been talking about all morning uh, basically uh, all afternoon excuse me uh, indicates how uh, dynamic the estuary is. We constantly have influence of the Gulf or from rivers, uh, from diversions. So the salinity is constantly fluctuating. So what we do is we, every two weeks, uh, map that salinity along with a lot of other information like where is the bird sufficient, where shrimp bird sufficient, uh, water quality information. But those maps are, are updated every two weeks. Uh, they can be found on our website. And, uh, you know, we, we have a uh, tremendous following of both commercial fishermen and recreational fishermen, and also scientists who uh, look at that to kind of see how the estuaries function, function ecologically and hydrologically. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's been a great, uh, we've been doing this now from since 2013, and uh, we're finding uh, more and more use and support as we uh, continue to develop in there. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, John, for being on. Um, of course, we'll... And you can uh, check out the blog, Yeah, you can right? check out the blog about HydroCoast uh, on our website, MississippiRiverDelta.org, and we'll have you back, and maybe we'll see you at Lights at the Lake. So thanks so thank much, you, John, John. And um, we'll be right back with Dr. Alicia Frenfro with National Wildlife Federation. And we're back. You're listening to Delta Dispatches. We're discussing Louisiana's coast, its people, wildlife, and jobs, and why restoring it matters. I'm Jacques Hebert with Environmental Defense Fund. And I'm Simone Laws with Restore or Retreat. And it is time for the Coastal Voice of the Week. Um, as a reminder, you can go online at any point at RestoreTheCoast.org and read you know, these coastal voices, they're basically submissions from people around the state um, telling us why the coast is important to them. Um, Submit your own and who knows, we might just read it one day on Delta Dispatches. So today is from Elaine in Boyce, Louisiana. Um, Elaine says, it's our only natural defense against mother nature. Saltwater is destroying the brackish waters for fish. Land loss is being lost at a rapid rate. Well, I couldn't agree more, Elaine. And I, you know, love the idea of using nature to kind of, Mm -hmm. you know, confront or manage, deal with nature, you know, nature-based solutions. Thank you, Elaine. Thank you, Elaine. Um, So we're 
back with our frequent first. I feel like she's I, monthly. I, I'm scared like. to say favorite because, you know, we love all of our guests. But Dr. Alicia Renfro. She's my favorite. <laughs> okay, she's Simone's favorite. With National Wildlife Federation. Welcome back, Thank Alicia. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So um, let's just get the fun stuff out of the way. We asked John, and we'll keep we'll keep going because I think I'm a little hungry still this morning. <laughs> um we're about two weeks out from Thanksgiving, which is crazy to think about, but it also has me thinking about food. Mm-hmm. So what is your favorite Thanksgiving side? Ooh, Thanksgiving. I mean, this is so basic, Are you going to say something Yankee? <laughs> I could say something really Yankee, but that's a dessert. Um, I'm going to go with mac and cheese. Oh, yeah. I love a good mac and cheese. But do you like the Louisiana mac and cheese, like the baked, baked macaroni? Oh, most definitely. Okay. Yeah, 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 okay. yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, we got to yeah. go to Rocky and Carlos. I know. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. What do you Ooh. want for Thanksgiving? I'm like, I want Rocky and Carlos. Really yeah. See, we didn't introduce macaroni as a side until my kids rolled around, and, we, and now we're baked macaroni oh, people. Yeah. But yeah, like, you know, so. I have to say, I like a fancy cheese, though. Like, mm-hmm. I like you know, something a little, like, you know, a gruyere or something. Malaz is a straight up Velveeta. <laughs> I remember, like, going on a hunt for the, like, the wide, not the wide, but the, like, thick uh-huh. macaroni noodles. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because you really Vermicelli? need. They have a name, right? Yeah. What's their name? Yeah. Vermicelli. Yeah. Because yeah. yeah, you need the, like, the, the thicker noodles yeah. so the cheese can go in yeah. there. Yeah. And- yeah. Anyway, yeah. maybe I'll make that yeah, for clearly our, none of us. Maybe I'll make that for today. our office potluck. <laughs> well, <that's what> <laughs> <laughs> All right. Anyway, back to the science. Um, otherwise, we're quickly going to become a food show. Um, so, uh, Alicia, you this year happen to be the program committee chair. Is that correct what? for this uh, is that upcoming a paid? State of the Coast? Is that a paid position, Doctor Renfro? So, what is what is being the program committee chair of a conference like? State of the Coast entail? So yeah, um, State of the Coast is, it's a great conference here in Louisiana that's focused about like science and policy um, here in Louisiana. And so uh, being the program chair is a lot of wrangling, trying to help build the program. I have a wonderful committee that I'm working with that include scientists and academics and business people and government people, as well as other nonprofits to try and look at proposed sessions and then abstracts actually to build out this conference and get a nice comprehensive look of what's happening on our coast right now. So it's like themes and storylines and making sure everything yeah. balances. Yep. And then making the schedule actually work. <laughs> it's a lot. It's a lot. Um, but so far, so good. Um, the session proposals have come in. We've actually decided and selected sessions. Um, and at this point, just this last week, the um, abstract submission window actually opened. So for individual talks. As I was going to ask, can you explain explain the difference between the two. Sure. So the session proposal, someone actually built out a 90 minute session of, of, of four talks or a, a group of panelists um, and submitted that as one whole piece. So that'll be a block of time within the conference. Whereas abstracts are individual 20 minute talks that people can put forward. Um, and the program committee will look at that and make selections amongst those abstracts and build out the rest of our conference. And do you tend to kind of group some of those abstracts together so that if they're relevant themes, you kind of have them all within the same We time. try very hard to find like the common thread to group things that make sense together. And so also so that a conference goer, um, they can find session tracks that they really mm-hmm. like. Like if you want to learn all th- all about marsh creation, there'll be groups of projects that you can go to or talks that you can go to to sit down and listen to 
for a long period of time. Anything that stands out immediately already with some of those proposal session proposals or? Um, I think we're going to have a lot of talks about um, the 2023 master plan. I'm really excited about. There's going to be a lot of science talks surrounding sediment diversion projects. Um, some discussion of some of the marsh creation projects and Bear Island projects that have happened. So yeah, we have some good things. We have some 15 year Katrina anniversary. Mm. We also have a few things that we're still still looking to fill out would love to also have some 15 year hurricanes. Yes. Like, yeah. you know, it's going to be a big year for the conference because it is 10 year anniversary of the oil spill 15 year anniversary of Katrina and Rita it's going to be the 30 year anniversary for the coastal wetlands planning protection and restoration yes. act and there wow. is actually a session dedicated that's great to that. yeah so, so i'm pretty excited about that so i know there's a deadline coming up yeah. um if you know i'm someone considering submitting an abstract do you have any tips for me like what kind of really makes my abstract stand Pop. out among oh, the crowd yeah i mean the abstract is really your chance to make your case of why this is important um there is, if you go to stateofthecoast.org, you can find the guidelines for um, an abstract, but really kind of highlight why this is new and different and why this is something that we should really consider. I think uh, we are really excited and open to all suggestions, and we really want to see things that are a little bit different, some more policy and law-related things. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of times at these, uh, most of the conferences I go to are very science-heavy, <laughs> and so it's nice to have like a science, but also all the, all the other things that are happening in Louisiana have some, um, we have a lot of like interesting law things happening, a lot of policy. I think there's going to be some watershed initiative talks as well. So I think it's interesting that your committee sounds like the litmus test for if you're interested, then other people might be interested right, too, right? Right, exactly. Yeah. It's all about getting that one committee member who's like, I don't know, I would go to this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so one more time, tell people where they can go to submit abstracts and also what the deadline is. Yeah. So you can go to stateofthecoast.org um, and the submission window for abstracts is open now and it'll close January 10th. Okay. And so then um, looking ahead into next year, I mean, clearly you're going to be busy until the conference. So once this deadline well, she passes... she can't be. I've got stuff for her to do. <laughs> <laughs> what, what, what does the program committee do kind of after the abstract? Drink. Selection. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> well, so once, all the ab once the abstract window is closed, then we'll actually read through all the abstracts and pick and start to build out that schedule. Um, yeah, that's that's going to be our biggest task. That's going to be an all day meeting. Do you, so do you guys have like an abstract reading party where you get all you get <laughs> <I> together? <wish. laughs> I got to divvy you the You're abstract. The chair, so. go ahead, girlfriend. <laughs> do it. There may be some after after beer, yeah, yeah. yeah. after selection beer. So you have to fill three days. Yeah. Also, there is restoration on a half shell. Thankfully, you yes. probably don't have to fill that so much. Yeah. But three full days of content yeah. is yeah, pretty significant. Lot. It's a lot. Um, we got a lot of sessions. We got a lot of really great sessions. So we have a good chunk of our um, schedule built out already, but we still have a lot of room for good abstracts. So mm -hmm. like people put those in. So, um, so I have a question, like some of this is like new science, right? It could be, it could be breaking news, if you will, right? right. Some is covering what maybe made its rounds, um, but some of it's just brand new stuff that people want to use this conference to debut information. At. Yeah, yeah. And we really encourage that part. You know, we not everyone gets to go to every conference. So sometimes it's good to hear some good old standby things that have been around for a little while. But we really want to emphasize what's new and different, because as we know, Louisiana's coast is dynamic and changing. And what we do and learn about it is dynamic and changing all the time. So 
Yeah. And it's not just for Louisiana folks too. No, it's obviously not just centered Louisiana. around Louisiana work, but yeah. a lot of it has applications yeah. other places. Yeah, I definitely like those like Mississippi Tex, you know, Mississippi and Texas crossovers. <laughs> if we can encourage that, that would be great. Awesome. Well, we will certainly look forward to seeing the agenda once it's published, and also you should consider submitting. Are you submitting? I, I did. We did pretty heavy finance last mm-hmm. time so much so that I had to like I think I got an exception for being on the <laughs> agenda a couple of times but it was really interesting but honestly people want to talk about also communications yeah. mm-hmm. outreach and engagement mm-hmm. I think Alicia nailed it on the different topics too yeah. I mean the science is one thing but how you implement and engage on it is something else too. I moderated a panel last time on kind of media coverage of crystal issues and it was Mm -hmm. great to have all these different perspectives and so if you are considering submitting you know i would highly encourage it because it's a great experience and Mm -hmm. you really can get yourself out there so um thank you so much alicia it was great as always talking to you and we'll no doubt have you on soon in the future to talk about state of the coast and other topics um when we're back we will kind of wrap things up so and i'll chit chat and preview some awesome events that are happening around the coast um we'll be right back on delta dispatches Hello, you are listening to Delta Dispatches. We're discussing Louisiana's coast, its people, wildlife, and jobs, and why restoring it matters. I'm Jacques Hebert with Environmental Defense Fund. And I'm Simone Malaz with Restore or Retreat. Simone, I know this doesn't happen often, but I've got some breaking news to share <gasps> on Delta it. Dispatches. A new press release from Louisiana Department of Wildlife and Fisheries. Louisiana Wildlife Fisheries Commission approves resolution making Queen Bess Island a Louisiana wildlife refuge. Oh, nice. Nice. I know um, I know Queen Bess has a special place in your little bird heart. And so uh, it's exciting to see the work that's been happening out there. Yeah. You know, and I just want to flag that I was able to talk about oysters and birds today. Uh, so keeping and- my streak going. <laughs> um, but no. And oysters on trees. So the, the press release basically says that, you know, the um, island will be able to offer enhanced protection um, and a vital colonial water bird colony annually producing more than 4,400 nests. Um, Queen Bess Island is a 37-acre island located near Grand Isle and Jefferson Parish. It is the fourth largest brown pelican rookery in Louisiana, producing 15 to 20 percent of the state's nesting activity. It is also nesting habitat for about 10 species of nesting colonial water birds, such as tricolored herons, a personal favorite of mine, great egrets, and royal terns. Um, so that's great news. That is neat. Um, uh, uh, John Snell did a piece recently mm-hmm. on Queen Bass where they went out there and they covered some of those facts and stats. It's nice to see them get to work out there. Yeah. Well, I really loved talking Talking to John. I mean, I, we could have had him on for yeah, the Yeah, we're going to have to have him back yeah. on because, yeah, we could certainly cover several different topics. And the lake is one of our favorites. And it's important to make sure that people understand how important that the lake is to all of our coast. Right? And I would highly encourage you to go on our blog, MississippiRiverDelta.org, and read his, um, you know, Mr. Go blog, but also the Hydro Coast blog. Yeah. Um, Mr. Go, he really frames well just how important that closure was. It's kind of like the restoration project that never was. I mean, 1.2 million acres yeah. that influenced this huge. And then it just reminds me, I mean, obviously we're coming up on the 15th year anniversary of Hurricane Katrina, but how devastating Mr. Go was, not just right. to the environment and our wetlands in and around New Orleans and St. Bernard Parish and, you know, even further, but like to actual people and communities and that storm surge just going up through the channel. So it's great to see, you know, with the closure, salinity is returning to normal, you know, the area prime for restoration from like 
you know, large scale restoration, right. like the right. river reintroduction into more possible. Right, right. But also a lot of the swamp plantings and volunteer plantings that LPBF and CRCL are hosting. Yeah. So. And just as a reminder, there are some volunteer events coming up. Um, CRCL is doing oyster shell bagging on November 15th from nine to one. And Buris, of course, this is part of CRCL's oyster shell recycling program. Um, and we have some stats associated with that. They've collected more than four 4,500 tons of oyster shells. And the program just began in 2014. They've built two reefs using more than 2 million pounds of shells and 6,554 volunteer hours to help do that. And they have new oyster reefs planned in Jefferson Parish and in Plaquemines Parish. So when you volunteer, uh, you'll help prepare the shell for future restoration. They place the um, recycled shell in bags that will be later stacked on barges and transported to oyster reefs restoration sites. So by prepping, by helping to prep the shell, volunteers play that critical role in creating those new oyster reefs. Our friends at Lake Pontchartrain Basin Foundation also have an upcoming swamp restoration. If you um, have to work maybe on Friday, they have their swamp restoration on November 16th. And they also have some other fun events coming up. They have their annual meeting on Monday, December 2nd. Uh, Congressman Garrett Graves will be their guest speaker at the Lighthouse in the Lake. Little cocktail, little oratorio over at the Lighthouse um, with Congressman Graves, and that's on Monday, December 2nd. And then one thing that I'm really interested in is Lights on the Lake Celebration and Boat Parade on December 14th from 2 to 8 p.m. Join LPBF for a beautiful night on the lake and enjoy the best spot to view the Holiday Boat Parade. In addition to the fantastic music lineup, delicious food from local food trucks, and listen to this tantalizing hottie toddies. Ooh, I, mm-hmm. I went last year. I'm like, and tantalizing. I say, uh, you know, I don't know about tantalizing, but they were certainly nice because <laughs> it was cold, but it's such a festive <laughs> atmosphere and people go all out oh, on yeah. the boats. That's it's so, awesome. so cool That's to so see awesome. them all decorated. And then you could kind of see them through the new canal and then going out New Basin Canal and then going out into the lake. Yeah, that's it was so super windy. So as they got out into the lake, you would see these like massive Santas like swaying back and uh-huh. forth. But it was cool. So. We had a great time in Chicago one time. They had a boat parade and like, I mean, hello, I grew up in Homa, but it was so neat to see something like a, a boat parade. But there will be uh, crafts and educational activities for the kids. And Santa Claus. The man himself. The man himself. Wow. Yes, bring um, us Have you all started listening to holiday music in the Malaz household <laughs> as of yet? No, we're purists. Okay. After Thanksgiving. I, I think you've been cheating. Yeah, After- I have not. I will say Graham has been listening to Gwen Stefani's ah, holiday okay, album in okay. full force. And I'm like, it's, it's a little early even for Gwen, don't you think? Have you heard her holiday album? Yeah, uh-huh. I may be on it. Yeah. Okay. Um, my friend um, Clayton, who's a very, very dear friend of mine, did a couple of days ago send me his favorite Christmas song, which is Wham. <laughs> last oh, Christmas. Oh, that's a good so one. he's clearly yeah. been cheating and listening ahead of time. Okay, well, we too, won't so. spoil it because we've got a lot of fun <laughs> questions coming up in December. But oh, yeah. I wanted to ask, you guys had your rendezvous this week. How'd it go? Yeah, well, actually, it's tonight. Our rendezvous is tonight. And it's the we only have one annual fundraiser, and this is it. And we're doing it at a new location at the Foundry, um, which is located on Bayou Lafouche in Thibodeau. And we have the Cajun Music Preservation Society um, come into play, and it's a really nice venue with a balcony that kind of overlooks the bayou so uh it's our fun time to get together during the year awesome well good luck with that Thank and you. um no doubt um it'll be a great time in Thibodeau yes do you have any um we have any field trips or anything coming up 
Yeah, I think we're going to try to head out to Wax Lake mm-hmm. soon. Um, check that out. I mean, of course, um, we'll maybe try to have him on the show at some yeah, point. Yeah, we'd love to have um, Dr. Dr. Robert Twilly. Twilly did yes. a new study that has been covered that I found find so interesting. I mean, we've talked about it before, but the Tale of Two Basins, right. you know, Achafalaya is kind of one of the few places on the coast that's actually gaining and maintaining land next door. You know, Terrebonne, obviously, the Gulf of Mexico has moved 10 miles closer to Homo, which is, I mean, terrifying. Right, just right next door. But, like, why why is it so different? Right. Um, And then it kind of highlights the need for projects like Increase the Chafalaya and others to kind of get some sediment and fresh water into the Terrebonne Basin as well. And, hey... If something's working in Atchafalaya, how can we put that in other places? Yeah, Dr. Well? Twilley has long been a part of that area and, and studying the effects and that kind of tale of two basins for sure. He's recently featured in a couple of articles this week related to oysters and um, how they adapt to different environments. Um, of course, he's uh, directly related to the um, LSU Sea Grant Lab in Grand Isle um, and some of the work that they're doing there. But um, Hallie Parker with the Home of Today and, and there was another news source that kind of covered oysters and um, how maybe off bottom or, or different ways to mm-hmm. raise oysters is, is impacting the industry. Mm-hmm. That would be an interesting conversation maybe to have those folks on. Yeah, I know yeah. we've talked to the folks from Shelly Farms in the mm-hmm. past, but um, but yeah, to kind of understand what they've been doing um, near Grand Isle and, uh, you know, how that can, you know, potentially inform what, what the state and right. other farmers do moving forward um, to provide more flexibility and that sort of thing. So, well, another great show. Back to the science. So yep. we did, let's see, we did economics, we did education, we did science. What's next up? I don't know. We maybe need to bring in the arts a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Yes, yeah. We'll Good have point. fun at the rendezvous, Thank Simone. You. And thanks to everyone for listening. Um, you can listen to us anytime on Delta Dispis. Delta dispatches.org. You had a hot um, time. I, I might go get one now, but uh but thank you for listening and we'll see you next week. 